my life the vision dims, all that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, this wasted land. But most of all, I remember the road warrior, the man we called Max. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time when the world was powered by the black fuel and the desert sprouted great cities of pipe and steel. Gone now, swept away. For reasons long forgotten, two mighty warrior tribes went to war and touched off a blaze which engulfed them all. Without fuel, they were nothing. They'd built a house of straw, a thundering machine sputtered and stop. Their leaders talked and talked and talked. But nothing could stem the avalanche. Their world crumbled. Cities exploded. A whirlwind of looting. A firestorm of fear. Men began to feed on men. On the roads, it was a white line nightmare. Only though mobile enough to scavenge, brutal enough to pillage, would survive. The gangs took over the highways, ready to wage war for a tank of juice. And in this maelstrom of decay, ordinary men were battered and smashed. Men like Max, the warrior Max. In the roar of an engine, he lost everything. And became a shell of a man. A burnt-out, desolate man. A man haunted by the demons of his past. A man who wandered out into the wasteland. And it was here, in this blighted place, that he learned to live again. Radio Drone. It is Thursday night, and I am the lead of the main force patrol. Along me, along me, along with me is rookie officer Cecil T. Sure. <laughs> Way to get into it. All right. And, well, this and, is and, like your 15. I don't get 15 takes. Just a third. And uh, along, along with us is the toe cutter himself, Peter. I'd like to think of myself more as a humongous... I knew you were going to Again, say you've that. made me unleash my dogs of war. Just walk away. Just walk away. No, walk away. <laughs> you got to drag the vowels out.
Wasn't his, his voice wasn't uh, Australian though. Even in the Australian version, it was kind of like uh, it a was weird... also yeah. His was clearly dubbed because you could see the shadows like under Swedish... the mask moving. That's not even close to matching with the dialogue that's being spoken. But we, we, we'll get he, to that. He was uh, like he overdubbed himself, but he was like a either like a Swedish powerlifting coach or something. I don't know. We're going to be talking about the Mad Max franchise with the new Fury Road coming out this week. But if that wasn't that, already obvious. It was very obvious. But, <laughs> Cecil, there's an Adam and Eve promo to do. I'm picking uh, on you this you week. Bully and the guy. Uh, just torturing me with this. Picking on the robot. Uh, go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME and you'll get uh, six free DVDs, a uh, gift for him, a gift for her, uh, free U.S. shipping. Um, and a free mystery gift. And a free mystery gift, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. There you go. Yay! I actually think that you've been on you've been on the show for like almost a hundred episodes. And I think it's the first time you've ever gotten it almost right. <laughs> and I didn't write it down either. Nice. <laughs> Even when you wrote it down, you screwed it up though. Well, I may have. I don't remember. And <laughs> I haven't had it like that paper where I wrote it down in a long time. Tonight we're going to be talking about Mad Max. How did you first encounter Mad Max, the movie Mad Max, for the first time? I know I watched it with my dad for the first time, um, and it was on TV. I think the first time we ever watched it was a, a TV version on either, uh, what channel was it? I, I don't even know at this point, but it was one of those channels where it wasn't like like edited. It was, it was something like, uh, for the Canadian audiences out there, something like Showcase where they would air like actual unedited movies and whatnot. So I watched it there for the first time with my dad, and I, I barely remember that experience because I must have been like six or seven years old just, just sitting there and watching that movie with my dad and eating popcorn and whatnot. The experience I actually remember is is more seeing Road Warrior for the first time, but we'll get into that later. We'll get but into yeah, Road I saw, Warrior. We're just I talking Mad Max, Mad Max uh, right now. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I, I, saw, um, I saw Mad Max at a very young age, and I, I think... Uh, even though I don't remember much of that experience, it definitely influenced me and from a very young age taught me that this whole, you know, dystopian post-apocalyptic thing with the, the muscle cars and the shoulder pads and the, and the toe cutters is uh, something that I'm really going to be enjoying down the line. I actually saw it in reverse. Well, not really reverse. I saw Road Warrior and then I saw Beyond Thunderdome and then I saw Mad Max. So uh, I actually had rented it uh, sometime in the 90s. I don't recall exactly when, but basically it was like some Road Warrior loved it. Beyond Thunderdome loved it. And then years later, I was like, oh, you know what? I never did see that first one. So I went <laughs> and rented that. Really enjoyed it. You know, uh, it was just um, it was funny, too, because uh, I had kind of already seen the character arc. Of, of Mad Max, so then going all the way back to the first one and seeing a really young Mel Gibson, and uh, this was, uh, too, it was the, the dubbed version, so it was, you know, uh, the him with his, his high-pitched voice, and it was it was cool. I, I, I really <laughs> enjoyed it, and uh, although I, I did enjoy the other ones more, but I wonder if that's more so because I saw them first as opposed to, you know, catching them in order. They are pretty different from Mad yeah. Max. Very uh, much, it, yeah. Absolutely. And see, not quite like Cecil, but I saw these reversed as well. I saw The Road Warrior 
at that point, not knowing it was a sequel to anything, and I'll get into why that is in a, in a little bit, I saw Mad Max second, which might also be why I don't like it as much, but again, I saw the U.S. dub. Let's get into a little bit of history here, though. The movie actually came out in 1979 in Australia, and it was a relatively low-budget movie for 400000 Australian dollars. It made, to date, $100 million. That's a pretty good return on investment. It was made oh, by a bored doctor named George Miller. He was a medical doctor in Sydney who was bored and wanted to become a filmmaker. When, when Mad Max came out, Mel Gibson was nobody. In fact, he didn't even originally have the main role. Right before <laughs> he auditioned for the role, he, got, he was in a bar fight. So he had a black eye and a broken jaw and welts all over his face. And he, he figured he blew the audition. They Sounds loved like him. So then, so then a couple of weeks later, when he showed up for costume fitting, he was all healed up. And they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> but, but they kept him anyway, and obviously we all know what happened there. But what yeah. happened for Americans was this was the highest grossing Australian movie of all time in Australia. So mm. then it was bought by AIP, American International Pictures, from you know the Sam Markoff company. But when they brought it over, they thought the Australian dialogue was too thick, that it was too hard to understand all the Australian dialogue, as well as all the, all the Australian colloquialisms, such as oi, windscreen, proby, very toey, things like that. So yeah. they completely redubbed the entire picture with American actors re and replacing all of the slang with American slang. That is the only version Americans saw until 2000, when MGM wow. issued the DVD. Now, there were bootlegs of it before that. I saw the Australian version in the 90s back when I was a VHS bootlegger. I had a converted copy off of an Australian VHS tape. So I saw this before that. But most Americans didn't even realize that they had not heard Mel Gibson's voice throughout this entire movie. Despite the fact that this movie made a ton of money, it was not heralded very much by the critics. An Australian critic said that it had all the emotional uplift of Mein Kampf and would be a very a very special favorite movie of rapists, sadists, child murderers, and Charles Manson aficionados. Oh, come on. Tom Buckley of the New York Times called the film ugly and incoherent. And those are just a couple of examples of how at the time this movie came out, it was not appreciated at all. Baby. Just talking <laughs> Mad Max. Not leaving out what you know about Road Warrior, Thunderdome, and whatnot. Do you think the movie is a good movie? Because I have to feel, just in and of itself, it's a fantastic movie. In the franchise, I think it's the weakest of the three that I've seen so far, not having seen Fury Road, obviously. Oh, so I'm pretty much on the same thing. I think that it is a very good movie. It's just, it's in a franchise with two better movies. So, be, you know, uh, Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome, I think, are better movies. But that doesn't mean that Mad Max is a bad movie. It just means that it's the, the least good of the three. Um, while I agree that Road Warrior is better than Mad Max, uh, maybe the first 20 minutes of Thunderdome are better than the first one. And then the rest of it kind of shits itself. But when it comes to Mad Max, um, yeah, I do agree that as a, as a franchise piece, even if it is the first in the series, it is the weakest. And only because it's such a 
different kind of movie. Like it is completely different than what Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome are, which are straight up post-apocalyptic action adventure movies. Whereas Mad Max is actually more of a slow burn revenge film. It's almost like the Punisher in a lot of ways. You have a, a guy who is like a special forces dude. He's a, instead of like Frank Castle, instead of being a military dude, he's a cop. Uh, his uh, family is murdered by, you know, a gang of violent motorcycle dudes. And then he takes up action in his badass cop interceptor thing. And he goes on his bloody mission of, of revenge. And it, it's it's a build up to that. The whole movie is a build up to that, to those final um like 30 or so minutes of Mad Max getting his uh, his brutal revenge on the Toe Cutter gang. And uh, all of that is is really cool. I, I have a few, um, few friends that even say that they hate the first Mad Max movie. And while I agree that it's not the most rewatchable because... Mel Gibson does have the worst haircut in, in all of it's them just in a, this movie. Yeah, it's not really, like, memory. It's just a buzz cut. I mean, it, it is... Like in in terms of like like if you compare it to Road Warrior, Road Warrior's got all the all the really great custom vehicles and the, the the costume department obviously went a lot more above and beyond with that one. But I really do need to appreciate Mad Max as just a good slow burn revenge film set in kind of a dystopian setting. Like it it's a, it's one of those movies that if you appreciate like the first Death Wish film, you'll probably appreciate Mad Max. Like like that's kind of the I, I see Mad Max as more of a as a slow burn revenge film, vigilante film, than I see it as like uh, you know the, the post apocalyptic action fest that uh, Road Warrior and uh, Beyond Thunderdome would be. Whether I like Beyond Thunderdome or not, it's uh, definitely a lot more uh, action packed than Mad Max was. Well, and then this film it didn't do so great in America, possibly because AIP's of AIP's meddling, or it might not have done well on its own. It, it did get a release in America, and it started to get it started to get a reputation from its cable showings. Joe Bob Briggs was a very early supporter of the film, calling mm. it the best film of 1979. Nice. Joe Bob Briggs was supporting this film right from the beginning. But then in 1981, George Miller made a sequel to it, Mad Max 2. In America, we know this as the Road Warrior. He he, he made the film this time for a much larger budget of four and a half million Australian dollars. You can see it. At the time, Mad Max 2 was the most expensive film in Australian history, and it was also had more explosions and and wrecks. Now, the Mm -hmm. first film, many people misremember it as being a post-apocalyptic movie. It's not. George Miller is very specific. This is about what leads to the apocalypse, the breakdown of society. Yeah. Now we're into post-apocalyptic. When this one came to America, AIP still had the rights, but they were in very, very bad financial straits at this point, and they were being reorganized. So Warner Brothers picked up the option. But because Mad Max didn't get a big release over here, Warner Brothers possibly correctly decided nobody's going to go see a sequel to a film that they've never heard of. So they (laughs) rechristened it The Road Warrior, and they added the beginning part that, that we know of the of the the history to recap mm-hmm. where the character is. I think this is the best film in the franchise, but at the same time, I like the road warrior tire title better. Mad Max two is just kind of a bland title. Yeah. And you can even tell from the trailer, the trailer doesn't mention Mel Gibson. 
doesn't mention the Max character. It's all about the car chases and explosions. They don't even tell you what the story is. They sold this <laughs> as a straight-up action movie, not a sequel to a film you've never heard with a continuing character. Do you think that that was the right move for Warner Brothers to make in 81? Yeah, I think so, because if they would have released it as Mad Max 2, the majority of people would have been like, huh, what the, you know, and they would have looked into maybe the original one and seen that, oh, well, this isn't really the same kind of movie. Like you said, uh, Mad Max is not really an action-packed film. It's really kind of backloaded with all the action. And whereas Road Warrior is pretty much... Uh, an action film from beginning to end. And it's a completely different film with the whole post-apocalyptic angle, the much more colorful bad guys, much more memorable bad guys, in my opinion. While it, while it may not have been uh, right as far as repackaging it as the Road Warrior and selling it that way, uh, I think f- as far as introducing it to American audiences and getting the most money out of it, I think it was probably their best bet. It worked on me. I saw this as a standalone film. And in fact, I thought the opening sequence when I was a kid, the prologue, was just there as part of the movie. Like I said, it wasn't until later I found out that that's all footage. Well, not all, but mostly footage from another film. Yeah, I think they did. Um, Even if it's a little, you know, it's obviously kind of used car car salesman-like. It was still very smart because not a whole lot of people had seen Mad Max and it wasn't all that well-received in America, so you might as well repackage it as Road Warrior, and it, it obviously did very well. It's an incredibly memorable film, and as Cecil said, yeah, the the, the villains are a lot more uh, colorful and the characters in general, and, and, and as I said earlier, it's got a great uh, costume department to it, like the the, the outfits and the cars and, and everything is just a, a hell of a lot more inventive, and I I really do love that, that prologue, too. I think that th- just the opening of that film sets the pace so well whether um whether you've seen the first one or not that opening with the narration and the, and the stock footage of all the factories and and the chaos going on intercut with the shots from Mad Max 1 is just fucking brilliant just what a way to open a movie it's just awesome the road warrior aka mad max 2 is what kicked off what we all love as the the italian post apocalyptic boom What a lot of people don't realize is The Road Warrior wasn't the first one of those movies. George Miller is fully on record saying that he based the look and style off The Road Warrior off of the 1975 Harlan Ellison L.Q. Jones film, A Boy and His Dog. Mm. And if you watch those, if you watch that first, you can definitely see the influence. For some reason, A Boy and His Dog did not kick off a post-apocalyptic boom. But the Road Warrior did. Maybe times had changed in the six years between those. Do you think that that this mo- that this franchise, as it now is, really came into its own when it created an entire subgenre of ripoff films that are still being made today? Definitely. I mean, I've never heard of a boy and his dog, and I, I'll be uh, checking that out. But I think even that's just uh, that's a testament to how memorable Road Warrior is and how well it was marketed because that's the one everybody remembers. Like to the people listening to this episode, like I, like I dare you to say that you heard of uh, that you had heard of a boy and his dog before you heard of Road Warrior. Like I guarantee at least 
you know, 60 to 70% of people are going to go, yep, I, I heard of Road Warrior first. I people did. All, people also confuse all the time. I hear people say some Mad Max kind of wasteland, you know, yeah. a Road Warrior kind of wasteland. Exactly. Mad Max people, is sort of a dystopia-ish, but not a wasteland. Yeah, they, yeah people will, will equate it to that because it's it was just such a, it, even if George Miller was inspired by something else, it was his vision of the post movies like uh, like Warriors of the Wasteland, like Endgame, like all of these random uh, you know, striker, like all these random Mad Max knockoffs. Uh, he inspired that. It was, I mean, maybe Harlan Ellison inspired a few, but I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and just say that pretty much most of them, at least 95% of them, are are to do. Uh, or to hand to, to George Miller's Road Warrior, because that, that movie did. It completely spawned a, a whole subgenre, because the Italians just, they loved it. They loved Road, Road Warrior, and, and they just completely ran with it, and they're still making stuff based on that, like like on that uh, on that visual aesthetic, uh, and, and just because it, it worked so well. It was such a, a perfect blending of everything, of, of action in this desert setting with with the ruins and and the the cartoonish almost campy villains with the mohawks and and the shoulder and, blades and, sports well, gear along with the villains you had a subtle undercurrent of homosexuality as well you know cuz yeah. like what Wes clearly had a boyfriend in this and there were a few other subtle homosexual moments in this and then you had some of the italian ripoffs that didn't quite get the whole subtle part like in Warriors <laughs> of the Wasteland, the whole—it's not a subtle undercurrent. It's no. a straight out. This is a roving gang of murderous homosexuals with really a lot of hair product. Let's just say that uh, Lord Humongous rapes Mad Max in uh, Warriors of the Wasteland. He does, and then that's and then the Mad Max the then the Mad Max character thinks he's the man with no name from Sergio Leone movies in a huge clear plastic bubble armor you, you have to see it to, for it to it still won't make sense but peter you have you have never seen a boy and his dog or you're saying you never saw it back in the day i've never seen it i've never even heard of it up to this very moment oh it's a, dude, oh you are need, in for a treat oh my harlan don johnson script, don, a young like he's like what 17 in the movie a young don oh, wow. johnson is it a, a post-apocalyptic wasteland telepathic with dog. a telepathic talking dog that sounds and, amazing. And there is an overabundance of rape. <laughs> wow. The, uh, part, of, part of what happened after the bombs fell was women died out faster than men. So mm. there's actually a line near the beginning where these guys gang rape this woman and you think Don Johnson's going to help her and he doesn't. And then he goes up to her body and he goes after they kill her, he goes, damn it, she could have been used two or three more times. <laughs> it's really wow. dark like and it has the, one of the darkest final lines ever yeah don't ruin it but the i mean because if you look at the the cover it's it's a nuke with like a smiley face on it and so you kind of think it's going to be a comedy i mean it is it's it, there's satire, a lot of humor in it but it's black humor but it's very nice. dark yeah yeah you you need to check it out actually i think I think it's getting a Blu-ray release soon. It, it already um, did. I, I, oh, it already I, I did. Already have it. It's it's a treat, man. It's really messed up. But uh, awesome. so yeah, definitely check that out. And the audience and, and and our audience, you got to check this one out too. So, uh, <laughs> but but talking about Mad Max, well, Road Warrior actually. I just I love that 
they kind of set the dress code because you know the 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 football shoulder pads and the spiky armor and the lots face of hair products lots of hair products <laughs> yeah like so many moves she wolves of the wasteland and and uh freaking 1990 bronx warriors and so many just movies where it's all dudes wearing leather and women wearing like uh chainmail bikinis and stuff and it's yeah. just they they really did kind of set the line that everybody followed and they did. Granted, and not only not even just for live action stuff but quite possibly the the best thing to come out of the the road warrior boom would have to be the the fist of the north star anime oh hell yeah yeah i, I would almost say guar as well guar is yeah. obviously influenced by road warrior Totally. Like, all the coolest yeah. stuff came from Road Warrior. Well, Road Warrior's the film that started to enter pop culture. It was a tremendous box office hit. Then when it came to cable and television, it was an even bigger hit. Now, this time, they left the audio intact, probably because this was Warner Brothers versus AIP at this point. So we got to hear all the actual Australian voices. And it's kind of funny. She, she She's credited as Warrior Woman. But Virginia Hay, Zahn from Farscape, has a large role in this movie as well. This is this is the one that just it absolutely influenced pop culture. Not just with the Italian ripoffs, but you have the American knockoffs. You've got, you know, the Steel Dawns and the Solar Babies. They all took their look off of this. You started mm-hmm. to see jokes about about the Road Warrior and Mad Max and whatnot on on Carson. Because in America at the time, we were just coming off of a gas crisis. Let's just say I think that that kind of fed into the Road Warrior box office a little bit, the fact that we weren't weren't that, but we just had a gas crisis in America. A few years go by, the movie's making its rounds, and then Warner Brothers again, they now hold the license at this point. In 1985, they made a huge budget, $12 million sequel, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Now, this time, George Miller did not direct it. He co-directed this movie. He, he co-wrote it with Terry Hayes, and he co-directed it with George Ogilvy because he said he didn't know how to work with all the actors. And, you know, he's, he's now working because you got to remember, Road Warrior was a pickup from Warner Brothers. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is a Warner Brothers production. So he's now gone from being an independent film director to a studio film director, and he didn't mm-hmm. know how to work with the actors. So essentially, George Ogilvy directed all of the scenes with the actors and the dialogue, and George Miller directed all of the chase scenes and whatnot, and served as executive producer. So this is not a full George Miller film, and you can kind of tell. Yeah. The first 20, 20, well, first 40 minutes almost really feel like a true sequel. Then the mm-hmm. middle happens, and that feels like almost Steven Spielberg took over, and then yeah. it starts to get back into a George Miller film at the end. This time, they cast, I don't know if it was stunt casting because she did a really good job, Tina Turner as our main villain, who does a pretty fantastic job in this movie, in all honesty. E- essentially, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome was the big-budget sellout version. It made the most money. It had the music video tie-in. They started to, this is the one that, they already had the VHS box planned before the movie came out. They had Mel Gibson and Tina Turner going on the nightly talk shows. This one was the studio film. And I think it's not the weakest of the three. I think as a whole, it doesn't work. But I still enjoyed it better than I did Mad Max as part of the franchise. The the big thing with, with Beyond Thunderdome, 
I never really was really into Tina Turner because she was like way before my time. So having her as a villain, as anti-entity, I, I had never really seen her. It might be really bad taste, but Joe Bob Briggs had one of the best jokes about this movie and Tina Turner I've ever heard. God, when, when he was I have a feeling <laughs> when when he was reviewing this movie and I'm paraphrasing, so not exactly quoting. I don't have it in front of me, but he said, and then Tina Turner shows up dressed like she's going to a settlement meeting with Ike. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that is such bad taste, but it's actually funny, isn't it? Oh, cool. well, you know, some of the worst taste stuff is funny. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I fell in love with her, though. I thought she was just awesome. You know, with a you can shovel shit, can't ya? You know, with with just her like Bullshit. her 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 voice was just <laughs> awesome, and uh, I, I just thought she made such a good villain. But she wasn't. I don't know. Like she was kind of the uh, like you kind of understood where she was coming from. It was like, all right, well, she was now the head of this society, and this is kind of how they're running and they're keeping things in order. And and uh, There's so she was civil war going on, and yet master for all of his intelligence is not the right leader for the new society. And so right. she has because to get he rid very, of him. Uh, he's, very he's, the mind of, he's the mind of a child. <laughs> <laughs> Who ran Bottertown? Yeah. Master Blaster ran Bottertown. Three seconds, <laughs> break neck. Yeah, it was just, oh, it was so good. And uh, it, it's just... Uh, I really, really enjoyed the uh, the the whole f- the cage fight, like the little in jokes with the uh, with Max, where he's got like the blade and the fly swatter, and like uh, it, it was uh, it just kicked ass. It was a lot of fun. I the, saw it. The, the, uh, there was even there was even the in joke kind of whether because Bruce Spence is in the Road Warrior and in this, and it's never made clear whether he's playing the same character or not. He has a helicopter in Road Warrior, and he's got an airplane in this one, and Max recognizes him, but he yeah. doesn't recognize Max, because Max might recognize him from Bartertown, so it's never made clear whether Bruce Spence is the gyro captain in this movie, too. I, I, I kind of dismiss that theory. Like I think it's just kind of meant to be as an in-joke, because at the end of Road Warrior, the um, you know the, the kid, the feral kid, is uh, it, it's his narration at the end. Like He ends up the leader of of the the group eventually or whatever. So so I don't think that um he would be with the the gyro captain if if that were to happen. Well, the gyro captain was in the buses at the end. He 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 did join them. It's just two different characters. I think they just kind of did it as a nod because uh yeah I think they all just like stayed together in that bus. Fair enough. It it does it does slow down significantly once uh he gets the gulag and uh, goes out into the desert. But it's still... Well, that's what happens when you bust a deal, you face the wheel. Right. <laughs> Walker. 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 Also, it, it, when, when I rewatched this last week, I noticed a tiny little joke. I've, I've seen this movie dozens of times that I never saw before. When the kids are doing the tell. Because you know how Max has a pet monkey through all of this? He's got the monkey that's, you know, leaving the trail of mm-hmm. garbage to barter town. He's got the monkey that brings him the water and whatnot. And he's got the monkey that sits on his shoulder. It's the same monkey. So it's his pet monkey. I never noticed before when they're doing the tell and they talk about Captain Walker, they point to the monkey briefly and they say, and his co-pilot. <laughs> I never saw that before. And I thought that was hilarious that the kids think the monkey is Captain Walker's co-pilot. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a I mean, it, it's um. 
it's enjoyable. It's got. I mean, yes, it is the the studio Max film, but that doesn't feel studio. It really does, doesn't it? But that doesn't equate bad, though. You know, it just feels more expensive is the thing. But they use the production well. I mean, the Master Blaster was a great design, was a great characters. You know, uh, Anti-Entity's outfit is awesome. The whole Barter Town design is great. And again, something that was ripped off in countless post-apocalyptic films that you know that desert town that's uh running you know because it supplies like one thing it, it just it, it worked it worked really well and i was really sad that the franchise ended there for a long time like after seeing it uh i was fully expecting you know another mad max film you're 20 25 years later or whatever I, 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 i'll go into the history of why the fourth one took so long walk do the tell i like the tina turner theme um i like the first 20 to 30 minutes like the whole thunderdome thing you know max coming into the to the town is kind of a man with no name kind of thing they even drop that as a reference in the thunderdome they're like master blaster versus the man with no name and it's like that was kind of a nice little reference there they're sort of met, uh, referencing some sergio leone stuff there and then the whole gulag thing happens and pretty much immediately lose interest. I don't care about that f***ing Lost Boys subplot. It's boring. Like the whole the whole walk and them like showing him the 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 cave paintings or whatever and he it just goes back and forth. Ah, just it's so draggy and and just doesn't feel like um it's you can tell it switches from director to director because George Miller clearly starts the film, and then in the uh, the majority of what's left is somebody else, and then the car chase at the end is obviously George Miller, which is and, and that's my reason for feeling like Thunderdome is really the weakest because at least in the first one you can it, it feels consistent, it feels like it's the same person in charge of everything, and you're feeling like the story is being led along by the same guy with the right pace, with the pace that it's supposed to be at. Whereas Thunderdome, it's like, uh, it's the only one where uh, I start tuning out at some point. I, I enjoyed Thunderdome. Maybe, maybe I spoiled myself with Thunderdome, this being the first one I saw in the theater. I was 10 years old, so maybe that's why I don't hate it as much. As Cecil alluded to, he wanted a sequel. So did Warner Brothers. A fourth Mad Max film has been in development hell for almost 25 years now. So finally, in 2003... George Miller, he, you know, he'd gone on and done other things like Happy Feet and whatnot. Yes, Happy Feet and Babe are by George Miller. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, man's got to work. You got you to gotta bring home the bread and butter. Yeah, you got to pay the bills. Do you know yeah. before Road Warrior, he was offered First Blood? Wow. So in 2003, he finally broke down and said, let's do a fourth Mad Max film. He got mm -hmm. the script together, and Warner Brothers gave him a green light for $100 million to begin shooting in May of 2003. And then the war in N Namibia started happening. Th they started tightening travel restrictions and whatnot, and then the Iraq war broke out. And apparently the original script for, at this point, was just being called Mad Max 4, was very much an anti-war, had a very much an anti-war theme to it. 
in the mm. early days of the Iraq war, that was never going to happen. So yeah. Warner Brothers kind of shelved it, and then eventually Mel Gibson lost interest in it. He did come back, though. Mel Gibson came back around 2006 and said, all right, look, I'll be in the fourth one on the condition that I'm killed in the first 20 minutes. Oh, and wow. then it was supposed to be Max gets killed, and then his son starts starts taking over the rest of the franchise, and then it would be a whole uh, kind of new franchise. That also never uh, really gross. happened. So then they, de- then they decided, well, let's just do the original Mad Max 4 script now by 2009. This time we'll do it as a 3D animated feature. That also got a green light and eventually didn't go anywhere. They even got into pre-production on that. Then they decided, instead of making a fourth one, let's make a minus one. Let's make a prequel to Mad Max. And Paul Walker Mm. was cast as the young Max, and it was supposed to show how society started to break down. That also fell apart when the Fast and the Furious franchise started to get really big, and Paul Walker decided to keep doing those instead. So then, finally, they went into production on the $150 million-plus Fury Road that we've got coming out now. Now, obviously, none of us have seen that, but with this production history... The fact that this film is getting fantastic reviews, is that kind of a surprise? Well, I mean, I've been following production for Fury Road uh, back when it was first announced. And uh, obviously, like with, like with anybody that's, uh, that's a fan of this uh, franchise, with how long it's, it's taken for anything to come out, you know, you're kind of eh, you know, not, uh, not expecting much. Who knows? It might be good. might be bad. And then that first image of Tom Hardy as Max is released. Holy shit! Did that look good? Like, it, like I'm sharing it with everybody. I'm posting it, just blasting it all over Facebook and Twitter and whatever. You fucking carrier pigeon, whatever I could do, because it just looked so perfectly right. And then that first trailer came out, and it yeah. was awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and it's the same thing all over again. Because that first picture of Tom Hardy, God, that was like what? How how many years ago? Maybe two years ago. I think that picture was released. And then we finally got a full trailer and just mind-blowing, beyond meeting expectations. Whatever anybody, whatever expectation anybody had of Fury Road was run down like Max's family. It was just so perfect, so just beyond what anybody, I think, was expecting. Because, like, if you ask anybody about that movie, I think, like, the majority of really regardless of what genre people are into, like almost everybody is excited for this movie just because it looks that awesome. Well, one thing you, you skipped over was the very brief uh, Maxine thing where they were throwing around the concept of since they got Charlize Theron on board that they were going to make it Mad Maxine and reboot mm-hmm. the film with a female protagonist. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, thankfully, the studio thought so too, and they decided to uh, move ahead with Fury Road. As, that is almost as stupid as them having recently announced that Escape from New York now Snake Plissken's a black woman. <laughs> it's almost no. I'm serious. They've actually announced that. I didn't make that up. And, and, and they're uh, trying to say the most... no. It's the same character. No, it isn't. It, no, it's not. My whole well, the whole, well, that, the most. Uh... It's the most politically correct uh, character of all time. You might as well have her hailing from Ferguson. (laughs) She needs to be transgender. Just get Pam Greer to play Hershey again. Right. (laughs) 
Hey, I'd watch that's that. Pretty much, I would watch that. I, w- I you know what? I would watch that. You know, they had uh, Pam Greer as Hershey. Yeah. No, have Pam Greer as Carjack Malone. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of times studios, when they have a film that goes through this much production nonsense, the end result often comes out as just a mess. But every now and then, it it somehow works. And this is one of those cases where it appears that it, it works because they've, uh, even though it's it's gone through so many different changes, uh, in the end, the people that did work on what they finally decided upon, they actually were passionate about it and they were able to make the movie that they wanted to make. I mean, the, the freaking thing is R for crying out loud. Um, yeah. and, and that right there speaks And volume. it's mostly practicals. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly practicals. And from uh, what I gather, too, is that they really push the rating, which is, is great because there's a lot of movies that they're shooting for PG-13, but then they, they end up getting an R anyway, and then they release it, and so you watch it, and you're like, wow, that really didn't need to be an R-rated, and that could have been a PG-13 rating, you know, because maybe, like, you know, a couple of f***s and maybe some... Uh, Beyond Thunderdome was PG-13. Blood spurts. Yeah, but Beyond Thunderdome was PG-13 when PG-13 actually was good. A 1985 PG-13. Yeah, it was a 1985 PG-13 when you could still have, like, nudity and swears and a fair amount of violence and whatnot. And now PG-13 is just completely neutered whatever, but... So I'm happy. I'm I'm very happy, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that it does as well as everybody's talking about. Because I mean, everybody is is just you know, ran, you know completely amped to go see it, and uh, you know it brings back the post-apocalyptic movies because uh, we need more. The only thing I'm a little bit afraid of, and this is just having not seen the film yet, is the fact that George Miller says it's neither a sequel nor a reboot. It's both. <laughs> That yeah. kind of worries me just a little bit. I remember it was a sequel slash reboot. I really enjoyed it, but I, oh god, I, I totally. I, S- Star Trek is kind of that. The 2009 Star Trek is kind of both. Yeah, Star Trek is kind of that because it is uh, a sequel. Re- oh, um, the the um first class, uh, X Men First Class. It's a sequel slash reboot. Now they're moving forward with all the, you know, the new actors and whatnot for the for the following movies. So I think that that's a kind of a a, a very cool and unique way to do it. And uh, with with Fury Road, it's cool because it's like it doesn't feel like you're betraying the original franchise because a lot of times reboots are like, well, uh, the the original series is pretty good, but we can go back and make it better. And it's it's like. Now, stop it. One of the weird things is, and I I hope this is just a marketing angle for Fury Road, just how little Max there is. The entire marketing campaign is almost centered around Charlize Theron. She's the star of all three trailers, and of the six minutes of movie clips that Warner Brothers put on YouTube, Max is only in one of them. Are you you two kind of afraid that Max is going to become a supporting character in his own movie? No, not at all. I think that is a marketing thing. And uh, in those trailers that you're talking about, it does kind of build up to where Max is captured and he's released. And even sort of near the end of the trailer, you know, Charlize Theron's character is like, you know, who are you? And then you get all these uh, action sequences of of Max just 
kicking ass in the car and he's got that sort of uh you know that kind of the twinkle in his eye like he's about to do something awesome so i think i think what they're doing is they're just they're holding back just enough so they can really really hit you with the actual movie like i think they're really as far as the trailers go for this movie i think they're really being smart with it like they're they're showing you just enough of what they should show you uh to get you excited for it how do you think the franchise of mad max has worked do you think that that it has worked the way it should have is it is it a strong enough franchise that there really are no duds in this one like like so many others where do you see the franchise of mad max going assuming fury road is as big of a hit as it looks like it's going to i'm hoping for at least two more films so you know do the old uh trilogy thing i don't know how much it's going to continue beyond that uh, who knows? Maybe it will end up being the next big thing because uh, the outfits are very colorful and whatnot. It might it might be something that gets people cosplaying. It might get uh, you know a video game adaptation. It might get a TV spinoff. I mean, what a lovely day! A lovely, beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is a lot of potential for it, and uh, I'm pretty excited because it, it looks awesome. And uh, and like you said, there's it's coming from a series where there are no duds, and uh, so far everything is looking like this is a continuation of that. It's going to be another good movie, just minus may, may, minus Mel Gibson playing Mad Max. But I, I've heard rumor is that he's in there somewhere. I'm I'm excited. I mean, I know he um he was at the premiere, so yeah, that was and even cool. uh, even years ago, like he approved uh, Tom Hardy playing Max, like he. He said he was uh, specifically like really excited and that he thinks uh, Tom Hardy can really bring it with that role. I think that he probably could have pulled off the character, but unfortunately at this point they would they would drag all his baggage along with him. Yeah. And, uh, In all honesty, would... I, maybe I'm maybe I'm committing film snob sacrilege here. I kind of liked the idea, maybe if they hadn't publicized it, of him having been in a fourth one and then being killed 20 minutes in. I kind of like that. It's kind of got a beneath the Planet of the Apes feel. First time you see that, Heston apparently gets killed five minutes in, and you go, okay, didn't see that coming. <laughs> Paul Walker would not have been bad as the prequel Max. Eh. In, in, in all reality, he does have a lot of similar qualities to Mel Gibson in, in the era that he made Mad Max. He looks like him. He's got a similar speech pattern. Paul Walker could have done that. With so much of the Mad Max franchise having entered pop culture with the costumes and, and dialogue and like we were joking about, you know, that just walk away, everybody knows that. Or even, <laughs> I don't know if this was an homage or a ripoff, but like the the premise of the first Saw movie is kind of based off the ending of Mad Max. Oh my God, it is. Alan Moore used that same thing in a Watchmen issue where Rorschach did that to a child molester, except he admitted it was based off of, of Mad Max. It was an homage mm. to that. With Mad Max being so rooted deep, the character and the franchise, into pop culture, do you think that this is the right time for a reboot like this, or a, a reboot sequel or whatever this is, for this one? Or do you think this may have been more successful if it had, had actually happened in 2003? How much have we as viewers change to accept such a thing. I think it's a great time. Just how strong 
the Mad Max character and the whole Road Warrior legacy has been in pop culture. It's uh, it's maybe time to revitalize pop culture a bit. It's time for Mad Max um, with a different face with uh, Tom Hardy at the helm to maybe give pop culture a little kick in the butt, give people some new things to get inspired by. And uh, so, yeah, I think it, it is. It's perfect for this for this generation. I think it could really, if it does well, we could really be seeing some... Um, some more movies like this, uh, some more post-apocalyptic knockoff movies, even more of that. Again, like cool things being created out of Mad Max being so rooted in pop culture. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, to the next next five ten years of uh, of movies to come if uh, Fury Road does as well as I'm I'm pretty much guaranteeing that it will do as well as uh, we're all hoping it will. Is today the right place for the Mad Max franchise, or is this a even? I know the first one was '79, but is this an '80s franchise? It seems like it is because uh, there are people who have never heard of, seen uh, Mad Max, Road Warrior, and are really excited for Fury Road. They're just, uh, this looks really awesome. I can't wait to see it. It just looks, uh, even though it's the fourth in a franchise uh, that spanned, you know, decades and it's not exactly new material for a lot of people. It is something new. It's something different. It's something that hasn't been done in a mainstream way in a very long time. So I think that uh, that's kind of why uh, it's getting a lot of recognition and the fact simply that it just looks like they made a really good movie. So Mm -hmm. I I got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping for the best and, uh, I'm expecting uh, some really good things. As we wrap up, Cecil is one of the the, the last of the V8 interceptors. Where can he be found? <laughs> uh, he can be found at goodbadflicks.com, at geekjuicemedia.com, and at escapistmagazine.com. And Peter, you can shovel shit, can't you? <laughs> uh, you can find me shoveling pig shit on, uh, on Twitter for Master Blaster at Zinematica. Uh, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, and once the site is updated on 1201beyond.com. And uh, when it comes to that, don't walk away, buy some T-shirts, and support the product. Damn straight. 1201beyond.com, as Peter said, that's where you can go. We're hoping for the relaunch for June. Should be sometime in June that we relaunch it. It'll have a new look. It'll have new ads. It'll have Peter and a couple of other people added to it. It'll be much less Josh-centric. Until (laughs) then, you can go there. Go to 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Yeah.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.